I want to talk about time today. Tick tock, tick tock, time. We all deal with time. As a matter of fact, we are in a special time right now. It's called the counting of the Omer. It's the time between the Passover and Shavuot, 49 days, 50 days. And today is day 13 of the counting of the Omer. Is that correct? I believe it is. Day 13. So this is one week and six days of the counting of the Omer. It changes in the evening. And the counting of the Omer, you may want to know, what is that all about? This is when the priests would bring the, um, wave the offerings uh, at the temple, um, and it would be in anticipation and expectation of the early harvest. So it was very special. It wasn't just a religious thing. And um, it's important for us. It's a time of expectation. I really believe that God is getting ready to release harvest in us. I look around, and sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I get discouraged. I'm like, there needs to be more people coming into the community, you know. And as the pastor, you know, sometimes, you know, like Millie and I were wake, woke up this morning and said, you know what, let's just stay home today. So much easier just to stay in our pajamas and we can watch it on TV, couldn't we? Why not? We need one another, guys. Yeah, Ken would be, and I'd say, Ken, I don't feel like going in today. You, you do it. He did the Torah portion today. He can do that. You know that um, I heard this just recently, and it blew me away. Um, a Barna research, 50% of people in the United States, less than 50% are involved in spiritual activity. And I'm not just talking about church or congregational attendance. They're just, people are not involved anymore. They have found their whatever online, and that's where they're at. And um, coming together in community, that's why I was saying this morning, it is important for us, don't neglect the coming together of the community. We need one another. We need to encourage one another, especially in these days. And I know there's reasons why people don't come. And I know, you know, the last year was, you know, don't, gather together in groups of 10 or more. Don't stand within six feet of each other and you're not allowed to get together with anybody who's not part of your, your family. And I'm like, come on. It's time we come together. I pray Psalm 91. God's got us through this whole season with Psalm 91 over us. And I want to encourage you to do that and so on. There's a whole lot more that I can say, but I'm not going to do that. But I want to talk about the whole issue that God's use of time in our lives. And, you know, I wake up in the morning, um, not necessarily this morning, but other mornings, and I feel like I'm just 30 years old again. And then I look in the mirror and I realize, wow, time has surely marched on. <laughs> Anybody else got identify with that? Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I want to talk about God in time because he's, he's the master of time and he will do what he says he will do in his time. And he has put us in as a slice of time, a slice of eternity into something called time. You see, he's the God of the eternal. 
He's an eternal God, but yet he puts us into a tick-tock environment where we are managed by time, but yet we are not to let time control us, but find out what God wants us to do. He's the God of eternity, but he's created us to live in a timetable in a, in a, um, a fabric that he has created, and, and we're a slice of that. So a couple of scriptures, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Actually, there's a whole lot in Second Peter talking about mockers, and I was going to share this last week and never got around to it, but in verse, well, actually, I'm going to start in verse 8, Second Peter Chapter 3, verse 8. But don't forget this one thing, loved ones, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. You see, he's, he's beyond time. And yet we deal with minutes, hours, weeks, months, years. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some consider slowness. Rather, he is being patient towards you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See, God uses time. He used time in my life to bring me to a point where I had an encounter with Yeshua, but I was 26 years old. It wasn't that all those 26 years beforehand were wasted, but at that point in time, he... I had an encounter with him that changed, and I entered in at that point into an eternal timetable, but I'm still in this time. Does that make sense? Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they gathered together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? You see, the disciples had seen all that his ministry they saw the crucifixion. They saw his resurrection. And they're concerned about the time. Does anybody really know what time it is? Does anybody really care? Break into my Chicago circa 1969, 1970. No, we're not going to go there. But he says, so they gather and say, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? You see, even the disciples were like, is this the time? Is this when you're going to restore everything? Yeshua, verse 7, he says, He said to them, It is not your place to know the times or the seasons which the Father has placed under his own control. Good news is time is, his, is in his control. His control. See, we are born, when we're born, we enter into his purposes, his kingdom purposes. It's like a tapestry, okay? God is weaving this beautiful tapestry from heaven. And he's looking down and he's seeing this. You ever look at a tapestry on the top? It's beautiful. But if you're looking at it from underneath it, all you see is a bunch of different colored threads. You don't really see the pattern. But God is weaving a tapestry that he has put us into in time. Is that, does that help you kind of look at it in that way? You see, but we, we want results without process. 
We want to arrive at our destination without taking the journey. And yet God uses the process and the journey to refine us, to mold us into the image of Yeshua. But see, we live in a world system. We live in a culture today, even more so than when I was growing up. It's a I want it now culture. Make me feel good now culture. Immediate culture. We need to have it right now, don't we? You see, Think about this. If he immediately fulfilled his promises to you, we would be so shallow and so spoiled. Because the promises are connected to the destination, to the journey that we're on. And that's what I want to talk about today. He doesn't want a shallow, spoiled bride. Because we would be ill-equipped to relate to mankind, to the people around us. You see, character is developed in times of struggle. Everybody says, amen, hallelujah. You mean if I just go to Bible studies all the time and I just, just go to Bible studies and go to congregation all the time, I won't have any troubles or any problems? No, no. You see, we learn the word. We we. Put it in deep into our hearts so that when the things come, man, we can walk because God says, I'm going to bring you through this. You're going to experience me, me in the midst of whatever circumstance you're in. Character is developed. Amen. My tears are what makes my rainbow. That's so true. It's so true. And we all know this, but some today I'm gonna I want to remember, remind us of this. And the children of Israel, they were wandering in the wilderness. They came to a place called Kadesh Barnea. Anybody know what that word means? It's a place. Kadesh Barnea. Anybody? It literally means a holy desert of wandering, the holy desert of wandering. See, they were freed from Egypt. They were coming and they came to this place. And they go back and forth to this place. Kadesh Barnea is a place that they visit often in their wilderness experience. But it's also the place where the spies were sent into the land. God is saying, I'm getting ready to bring you into the land that I've promised you. I want you to send some leaders, some princes of the tribes, some some men into the land just to spy it out. I'm giving you the land, but I'm giving you the land. Just spy it out. Go check it out. So they went in there, and what happened when they came back? We read the story in Numbers 13 and 14. They said, man, it's awesome. It is an incredible land. And, and they had to carry back these, these um, grapes, these, what do you call that? It's a... clusters of grapes that two men had to carry. There was, and they're saying, it is awesome. There's, it's beautiful. There's so much produce. But boy, there's giants in there. We shouldn't go. We shouldn't go. And so Kadesh Barnea was that where this place of decision where they had this big argument. There's two, Joshua and Caleb, who said, God said we can take it. Let's do it. But the ten said no. And it started a big furor in the people of Israel. And they didn't go. You see, they missed God's time. 
And because of that, they spent the next 38, 40 years wandering in the wilderness because they missed the time. Today, there's an impatience. Impatience has become a virtue. And this is not God's way. Impatience is not God's way. You always heard, you know, you need pray for patience. And God's going to give you circumstances in your life. You're going to need patience, you know. But you know what I see today is that we are, we are impatient and it's become a virtue. What do I mean by that? That's why the pursuit of power today is more insatiable than money even. People want power because with power, I can achieve what I want immediately. So that's why I believe, and I've seen, even in the last couple of years, this thirst for power for people. Because if you have power, you can make things happen immediately, just like you want, just when you want it to happen. But that is not God's way. And this is what I want to talk about today, is his way. First of all, his way is we shema his promise of destiny. We hear, we shema. That word shema is an act of listening to what the promise from God is about our destiny. We hear what that is. We hear with ears that are attentive to his kingdom purposes, knowing that we were brought into this world for such a time as this. And it also means as we hear, we're intentionally tuning out other voices. We are surrounded by a cacophony of voices that are drowning out the still small word of the Lord. He wants us to hear what he is saying. So first of all, we shema his promise. Secondly, we let the promise fill us with hope and expectation. When God, first of all, God's thoughts towards you are all good thoughts. God has good plans for you, okay? And so when he tells us those things, we let that promise fill us with hope and expectation about what he's going to do. And that hope and that expectation and that vision that he gives you, it propels us forward, okay? And third, so first of all, we hear his destiny, his promise of destiny, his promise of, of what he's going to do, his desires. Secondly, we let that, that promise fill us with hope and expectation. And third, we wait for it. And that's the part we don't like. We wait for it. That's the hard part. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. We hear what God is going to do the promise that he's given. We're filled with hope and expectation of what he's going to do. And then we wait in his presence for him to do it. My flesh wants it now. I want it now. Give it to me now. Give it to me now. I don't like discomfort. Anybody here like discomfort? Of course not. We don't like the discomfort of waiting for the promise that God has said that he's going to give us. So what do we do while we're being still and knowing that he's God? Just sit there. Hmm. Hmm. No. What do we do? We worship him. We proclaim who he is. We proclaim the promises that he's given us 
back to him. We remember the things he's done for us in the past. We draw closer to him. That's what he wants. He wants our everything. He's desiring intimacy. And if, you know, guys, the last year we have had an incredible opportunity. It's not over yet to draw closer to him. Some could not go to work. Some could not leave their houses. First, I'm imagine you're, you quarantine the healthy people. Hmm, that doesn't make sense. But anyways, it was an opportunity for us to draw closer to him. And it's not past. It's still, we can. He's telling us, he's, he's, he's bidding us to draw closer to him. I want to give a biblical example of what I'm talking about. If you turn to Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. And of course, God uses Israel to illustrate the point. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. And Adonai said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their slave masters. For I know their pains. Would you stop and say, God knows what you are going through. He knew the pains of slavery for Egypt. He knows what you are going through. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. That's the promise. Deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. To bring them up out of a land into a good and large land. There's the promise. I'm going to deliver you from slavery and I'm going to give you a land, a good land. A spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And into the places of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites, whatever other ites there were in the land. A glorious praise, a rival of destiny, and all the children of Israel going, yoo-hoo, yoo-hoo. And then he did some incredible things through the ten plagues. And they saw the hand of God move. Then they came to the sea, the Egyptian army in back of them, the Red Sea in front of them, and God parted it. Amazing, incredible. They saw all this. And then they found themselves in the wilderness. They found themselves in the wilderness. They saw the deliverance, the hand of God, but now they're in the wilderness. They're thirsty. They start whining and moaning and grumbling. We're thirsty, so God provides water for them. He turns the bitter water into sweet waters. And they still complain. They find themselves in the wilderness and they're going, where's the milk? Where's the honey? And I never really understood that. Maybe Kent, you can explain that to me. A land flowing with milk and honey. And I know it's just a picture, but I don't see milk flowing. It doesn't, you know, or honey flowing. Oh, let's jump into the river of milk and honey and get all sticky and whatever, you know. But it's just this picture of provision, God's provision. But yet they're there and they have nothing. There's no milk. There's no honey. There's no rest. They're tired. They're thirsty. And God provides. Even then, God provides. He did it. He provided the made the bitter water sweet. He provides manna and meat. And they still complain, Patricia. They're still grumbling and complaining. And then Keith Green comes up with, so you want to go back to Egypt? 
You're all going, what is he talking about? Banana bread. <laughs> Banana burgers. I just, Keith Green was one of my heroes. I'm telling you, when I first got saved, he was a hero of mine. And, uh, and yet, he was a scary guy too because he was so into just the holiness of God. And he, well, anyways, it's a song. So you want to go back to Egypt. But that's what they were doing. They were wanting to get rid of Moses. They wanted to stone Moses and raise up a new leader to bring him back to the garlics and leeks of, of Egypt. You see, this is what Israel did. They translated their suffering, their wilderness experience, and they turned it into unbelief. You see, what God was training them up and in raising them up and trying to develop, they misinterpreted it, and it became an unbelief. And grumbling and complaining, if not dealt with, will become a lifestyle of unbelief in our lives. Unbelief is a spiritual problem. It's saying God can't do it. God can't help me. Oh, yeah, maybe he can do that for them. But, and I struggled with that. I struggled with that a lot of my life was unbelief. And yet seeing miracles... But saying, well, God, I don't think you can do this in my life. That's unbelief. That is a root sin that so many believers are stuck in. And this is what happened with Israel. They're seeing God's hand, and yet they're walking in unbelief. Complaining preceded their destiny. Instead of the journey to their destiny, destiny they fell into complaining, and it cost them dearly. Wandering for 40 years, they forfeit their ability to enter the land. Those that were grumbling and complaining never entered the land, never entered into the promise. They refused wisdom. And see, this is where wisdom comes in. They refuse wisdom, understanding God's ways. Hebrews 3.10 says, Therefore, I was provoked by this generation, and I said, they're always, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. You see, there was a miraculous deliverance. We pray for revival. We long for revival. I want to see revival. But revival doesn't necessarily bring you into the land. We need the endurance of wisdom to bring us to the place of promise. Revival is, is somebody who is dead becomes alive. But he wants to bring us into the place of promise, fulfillment. Wisdom, that's what we need, the endurance of wisdom. What is wisdom? It's the knowledge of, especially the knowledge of God, and the capacity to make do with what he says. To apply his truth, this is what wisdom is. It's to apply his truth, his ways, and his life into our circumstances. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is to apply his truth, his ways, and his life into our circumstances. We do a really good job of memorizing scriptures about wisdom. We even replay, you know, John 14, 6, Yeshua said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we apply his ways to our lives, we're not just memorizing scripture. We're actually applying his ways, his life, and his truth to our lives, whatever circumstance you find yourself in. That is the way of wisdom. 
Prophetic words, and I love the prophetic. And I know right now a lot of prophets are being slammed, but I am not going to slam the prophets. I love the prophetic. We need the prophetic. They unveil the destiny to us, but they do not explain necessarily the seasons that precede the destiny. Does that make sense? A prophetic word will tell you this is what's going to happen, but it doesn't necessarily explain the seasons that lead to that fulfillment. You see, Joseph had some prophetic dreams, didn't he? When he was a young man, a teenager, 16, 17 years old. He had some prophetic dreams about his destiny. Incredible dreams. But it's interesting that those dreams did not tell him about the rejection of his brothers, did not tell him about the pit that he was going to be left for dead in, sold as a slave, to Egypt. He didn't tell about the betrayal that was going to take place and ending up in an Egyptian prison. It didn't, that's not part of the prophetic dream. Wisdom is the knowledge of God's ways applied with courage to walk them out. And this is the thing that we know that Joseph had that wisdom because even in the midst of his struggles, it always says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Several times, the Lord was with Joseph. You see, when God gave a promise and a destiny to Israel, it was about coming into a land, coming into a place of fulfillment where they would truly be a light to the nations. He needed to bring a people who were not self-centered, disobedient, but a nation who knew what their destiny was. That's why the 40 years in the wilderness I just want to share for just a few minutes. I met a, a gentleman the other day. The other day, perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. His name was Tamrat Admasu, Tamrat. And Tamrat was a—he's an Ethiopian man. He lives here in the community. I'm going to have him come here one day. He's an awesome guy. Lives here in the community, but he was born in Ethiopia, and he was a communist. He totally rejected God. He actually grew up in a, a Coptic Orthodox Christian home, but there was no relationship with God, nothing. Became a communist in Ethiopia back in the 70s and 80s was a really hard, hard place. A lot of communists. Became a guerrilla fighter. Murdered people. He was a violent man. And actually worked his way up and he became the prime minister of Ethiopia. His best friend betrayed him. He ended up in the prison. Similar to Joseph. And he spent the next five years in an Ethiopian prison. I've never been to an Ethiopian prison. I can guess what it's like. Solitary confinement most of those five years. No contact with his wife. Betrayed nothing. A nurse who was visiting, kind of doing some periphery stuff, gave him a track one day. And there was three things in there. First thing is God is God loves you. God has a plan for your life. And then it was, He is the way, the truth, and the life. The third, that's that he's pondered on that. And he kept that little piece of paper and he would bring it out. And he did one of those prayers. I did this prayer when I was 26 years old. He says, Jesus, 
if you're real, show me now. And then he goes on. I'm not going to get into it because he's going to tell about it here one day. God visited him in his cell. Three specific, I mean, in specific ways. And he doesn't know anything about God. And Jesus visited him in his cell for three, was it three days? And guess what? He spent the next seven years still in prison. Even after having that incredible experience with the Lord. He says, you know, God, I'm ready to, you know, I, I, I love you. I know who you are. But God showed him that he needed to forgive. And he spent the next seven years in prison learning how to forgive, learning the ways of God. So here's a man, 12 years, went from the prime ministership of Ethiopia into a prison, 12 years in prison, five, seven years of those as a believer so that he can learn God's ways. And now, and you know, God spoke to him and he said, you're going to share your testimony all around the world. He shares them with this when he's in prison. You know, like, who am I sharing? There's nobody. There's none of the rats in my prison cell. And that is what he's doing now. You see, that's, this is, it's so important for us to understand the importance of the wilderness. Whatever wilderness, and I'm not saying we're going to be spend 12 years in a prison, but that was a wilderness experience. They are crucial for all of us. Those wilderness experiences are crucial for us because we are to carry the testimony of the Holy One, and we have to have the character and the depth to carry it. All of us, not just Tamrat, not just Joseph, not just the children of Israel, but you and I, we are to carry the testimony of God. And so we need to develop that character to do it. We are, we are to carry that. I heard this quote, and it really is so, rings true. Promise crashes against the red brick wall of delay. Let me say that again. Promise crashes into the red brick wall of delay. But God is in the delay. God is in the wilderness experience. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You, you, you know what I'm talking about. Just share real briefly. I had a wilderness experience. I've actually had several wilderness experiences. But the first wilderness experience I had and, um, was, um, was years ago. See, God gave me a promise, and this is just it. God gave me a promise, and the promise was in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Son of man, eat what you find, eat the scroll, then go speak to the house of Israel. Okay, God, I'm going to fall in love with your word. I'm going to read your word, study your word, and then I'm going to go speak to the house of Israel. Sounds great. Ready to go. Pack my bags. Pack my bags. I'm ready to go. So forget it. And, and matter of fact, I had a man, there was a man in our school where I got that promise. His name was Derek Prince. You ever heard of Derek Prince? He prayed over me, that promise. And I thought, this is it. Now, believe me, before this, I had no desire, no call to go to the Jewish people. None. To go to Israel, even. Millie did. But I didn't. Because, see, I grew up with Jewish people. I don't want to go to those. They're hard, man. I don't want to spend. But anyways, 
this, this was a promise, and I knew it was the Lord. And then Derek Prince praying over me and, and confirming that promise, I thought, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. And then the wilderness. You know what I'm talking about. Shortly after that, I was diagnosed with cancer. Couldn't go anywhere. Matter of fact, we were. Literally, we did have our bags packed to go to Israel when I was diagnosed, didn't we? Yeah, we did. To go to Israel. We couldn't go. Put it off for several years. There was a lot of starts and a lot of stops, a lot of disappointments. What I call my season of brokenness. But God, you promised me, hold on to that promise in the seasons of brokenness. Hold on to the promise in the wilderness experience for years and years. And there was much healing that God brought into my life, but there was also a lot of pain. I had to deal with forgiveness towards people in my lives. And so there was, and it was 12 years before I saw the fulfillment of that scripture, that promise in my life. 12 years from when that promise came to when we actually landed in the land. Wow, we're here. Ezekiel 3, you told me, you said that I was going to go to the house of Israel. See, destiny without maturity breeds self-absorbed, superficial life. And there's been too much of that. I think the last year, God is saying to his bride, we hear a lot about that word woke. The woke culture, I'm so sick of that word. God is awakening his bride to be who we've been called to be and prepared to be. And yes, we go through hard times, but it is for a purpose. We're going to shine brightly. We are called to be light and salt in a dark, evil world. And it's giving darker and it's getting more evil. It really is. But be encouraged. What God says he's going to do. And you know, this is, what, this is our heart. You know, when we go to our, um, by the way, there is a, um, just another rabbit trail, but I got time. Uh, there's a uh, the prayer time on Monday, um, the pastor's 400. See, our heart to be involved in that, I want to see revival here, but I want to see a church who also is on fire for making the Jewish people jealous for their Jewish Messiah. That's, part of what's, that's what I'm called to do during this season. All of us, you know what? We're part of the Messianic congregation. Part of us, we also, we love the church and we want to see the church get Make the Jewish people jealous. That's part of why we're here for this time. You know, anti-Semitism is rising. You know that. I was out with a friend the other day. We were walking Sloan's Lake. We walked the whole park the other day. He is, um, he's, he's going to be here too. He's a friend of our, uh, Jeremy. Jeremy, is, is, he's got a heart for the Jewish people. He's got a ministry. And he's doing um, surveys and asking people what their thoughts are on anti-Semitism. So I was with him. We were walking around the park, and we would just stop people. And he would ask questions, and I would just pray as he was asking. And what people are, and you know what? Most of the people are like, yeah, I kind of know what anti-Semitism, yeah, it is kind of. But there was, there was kind of a lack of God consciousness in so many of the people we're talking to. And we're talking in, in a metro area here, you know. We're talking young people, you know, who have basically given up on the things of God. I was, I was kind of disappointed, disillusioned, discouraged with some of the, the people are sharing. And they grew up. Many of them would say, I grew up in a Roman Catholic church. I grew up in the church, but I wasn't seeing God in the church. 
for such a time as this. That's what I mean. God has placed us. You're not a mistake being here today to be living in, in what's going on. Those humbled in the desert can enjoy the purpose for their destiny. And this is what Yeshua is talking about. If you read the Beatitudes, and I love the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. See, God uses time. Each of us, every one of us, he uses time to mold us into the image of Messiah, whether you're 83 or 23 or 16. God is molding you into his image so that we would look like Yeshua. We're created in the likeness and the image of Elohim. We are the remnant. And you may feel like you're all alone, and that's another. I have seen such despair over the last year. People just feel like, you know what? What is, we're losing. Yet Anybody feel like we're losing that's why I like Linda, because she's, nope, right? Some do, some do, and they've given up. Don't give up. So what do we do? What do we do? What is, how do we use time? God has placed us here, and how do we use time to our advantage? First of all, repent of wilderness sins of grumbling, blaming, and criticizing. Ask the Lord, just stand with me. I know you've been sitting for a while. Ask the Lord to show you your heart. Are we like the Israelites? They saw incredible things. Most of us have not seen a sea part. We have not seen what they saw and grumbling and complaining, but we still fall into that. Ask the Lord to show you those things and repent of wilderness sins. I call them wilderness sins of grumbling, blaming, and criticizing. You know, Yeshua said, beware of the... The, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Herod. What does that mean? You know, the, the sins of the Pharisees was, was, was religious, you know, just doing everything perfect and legalism and telling people what they need to do but not lifting a finger to help them do it. And the Sadducees was unbelief. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And of course, Herod is, the, is a symbol of the party spirit. Materialism, it's all about just accumulating stuff. And Yeshua says, beware of the sins, the leaven of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and Herod. Secondly, we need to change our language. I am speaking to myself here. Change our language. Become like Joshua and Caleb. You see, they were part of the the, 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 the spies, the princes that went in there. And they came back and they said, let us go into the land that God is giving us. We can do it. And then years later, Caleb, he's 85 years old. You still got a couple of years to go. He's 85 and he says, give me that mountain. You see, he saw that he had that destiny in his heart. And he, was he says, I'm still as strong as I was when I was then, 40 years old when I got that word. That's the language that we need to just don't give up. When God gives it to you, you keep pressing in.
Third, so first of all, is repent of the sins of the wilderness. Secondly, change your language. Third, and this is so important, draw close to Yeshua in whatever circumstance you're in right now. Don't waste the wilderness experience. Yeah, sure, come on up. So Stuart told you about the wilderness experience that he had before we were able to fulfill the 12 years to get to Israel. And while I was part of that, in that 12 years, and one, when he was going through cancer, so I was the, the caretaker and had to walk as the spouse who may lose her husband. And we went through this journey together and one of the things that I would ask God every day, what are you trying to teach me? And the lessons that I learned in the three years, three years that we walked through that was lessons about his grace, lessons about suffering, Lessons about being steadfast. Lessons of how to love. How not to run when everything in me at times wanted to run and give up, but just hang in there. Lessons of how to use his word to make declarations. So lessons of spiritual warfare. Lessons about strategies. Lessons on how to hear his voice every day. And for me, an extrovert, lessons on how to go deeper into intimacy with him instead of running to people all the time. So whenever you're in those times just at, and don't know what to do, just ask him, Lord, what do you want to teach me today? I learned lessons about his character, different aspects of who he was. And it, it was just amazing. In three years, the things that I learned that I wouldn't have learned had I not been in that space of time. And when Stu was talking about the tapestry, there was one night that I needed God's love so badly. And he was like just curled up in a ball. He couldn't even talk. He was like just nothing, you know. And I knew he was suffering. Well, God gave me the words to a song about a tapestry. And he gave, he gave me half of the words. And then the next morning, I woke up, he gave me the other half. And I had a small group of women that I was working with. And I brought that, those words to that group of women and shared it with them and shared that testimony. And one of the ladies in there happened to be 
a music writer, and she's asked to borrow it, and she took it and put music to that. And I have that on a, a little cassette somewhere. I know, it's in my storage somewhere that I'll find one day, and hopefully we can play it, but it was amazing um, what God did. So he even brought a song out of that time. You know, let me give you an example of changing our language. We always say, why am I experiencing this? God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? It's kind of almost a natural reflex. Instead of what Millie said, is it, God, what are you teaching me during this season? That's what I mean about changing the language. Nothing is happening to you that God doesn't know about. So forget the why. Just you're there. Ask God, what are you teaching me in the midst of this? You need to hear, you know, um, Corey Ten Boom talks about grace tickets. I don't have time to, to get into that, that teaching right now, but it's just an awesome, if you know Corey Ten Boom, but just draw closer to the Lord during those wilderness times. Not, be a, not to, to pull away from them. See, our tendency is to pull away. God, why did you lift your hand again? No, he's not lifting his hand off of you. He's walking with you through whatever you're in. I want to speak some scriptures over you and because it's important during these times to focus on your goal, to focus on the what the Lord has promised you. Focus on the, on the destiny before you. Proverbs 4, verse 25 through 27. Let your eyes look directly ahead. And fix your gaze straight in front of you. By the way, this scripture was given to me the night before I was diagnosed with cancer. I didn't know anything about it. Proverbs 4, 25 through 27. There was a guy there, Dan Sneed, word of knowledge. He spoke this scripture. He said, I don't know what this, this is for you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and fix your gaze straight in front of you. Clear a level path for your feet so all your ways will be firm. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Divert your foot from evil. Keep focused on what the Lord. Lord spoke to me that the night before I was diagnosed with cancer. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. You all know this. I press on toward the goal for the reward of the upward calling of God in Messiah Yeshua. I press on. I move forward. That's our theme for this year. Move forward. Colossians 3, 2. Focus your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Father, I pray for each of us here today. Lord, I pray for each of us for the wisdom of endurance in the journey that we're on. Some of us have been praying for a healing in our body for years and years, and it hasn't come. Lord, I pray for wisdom in the endurance, in the walk. Father, knowing that you are a healer, you are a God who is faithful in healing. And Father, I pray for those who've had dreams, visions, and revelations. Lord, and, and you've seen a partial 
revelation. You've seen a partial fulfillment. God is saying, get ready. I will do what I said I'm going to do. Trust me. Walk in the journey with me, and I will do what I said I'm going to do. Some of you have grown weary. Have you grown weary? Father, I pray, Lord, for endurance. I pray for your courage to be upon us, Lord, as we walk into this new season that you're calling us into. And Lord, that we would all understand what our role is to play in this time. None of us is here by accident. None of us is here at Orchaim by accident. All of us have a role to play. So Father, I just pray for each of us that we would walk into these new things with boldness and we would be speaking a new language of faith and hope and expectation. I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen.